This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here this morning. I'll tell you what I did last night that was not too good. I realized once you reach about 40, you can't have caffeine at night anymore. <clears throat> I had myself a big glass of Coke last night, along with some really delicious Indian food. At about 1.30 this morning, I was contemplating all the deep things that was happening in the world. And I was wondering if it was the Lord keeping me awake. No, it wasn't. It was caffeine. Thank you. So, this morning is brought to you by Jessica drank caffeine last night. The good news is, though, I don't know if, if this is like, I'm just speaking to the doctors here in the, or the nutritionists here in the room. I don't know what this is. I don't usually feel it the day, like I won't feel it today, you know, and I'll feel it tomorrow. If you have an appointment with me tomorrow, nothing's going to make sense. <laughs> I am going to give you wild advice. We're going to pray long prayers and lots of silence in those times of prayers. I'm just kidding. That's for free. Um, <clears throat> this week... Um, <laughs> Clearly, I stayed up till 2 a.m. last night. Um, this week, Dave and I had a chance to speak to about 600 pastors in B.C., and um, man, I, I feel really encouraged after being able to do that, because I, I do know the world tries to tell us that nobody's interested in the things of God anymore, and church as we know it is going downhill, and basically in two to three years, there's going to be nobody in churches, and you know, you, you get that idea in the media. But I would like to report that churches all over the place are growing, that people are coming to Jesus, that there's all kinds of young pastors. <laughs> hey, listen, I just thought it was here that God was like raising up young pastors. And I, by the way, you might be looking around saying, hey, we look a little sparse this week. And that's because all of the youth are staying up all night and with Logan, our consummate youth leader, youth pastor, who is in. Uh, so all the young people are on a youth retreat and they will come home very exhausted to you. Uh, tomorrow, mom and dad, sorry. It's like they drank 17 Cokes. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just excited about what God's doing all across our country. I, I, believe we're, I believe the church is in for the best days. You know, when, when, when the world tells us things are over, that's exactly when God says, nope. <laughs> and so I, I just think, I, listen, if you, let me just give one more plug. If you haven't been water baptized, I said this during our prayer meeting today, water baptism is a funny thing. If you've been coming to church for a while, it's a bit like when you know somebody, you know when you know somebody, you've known somebody for a long time, but you don't exactly know their name? Has anybody ever had this? But it's too late, like, because you've shared deep and intimate things with that person. It's too late to say, also, I know that you're struggling. What's your name again? It's the worst feeling of all time. And you're really wishing for name tag Sunday? <laughs> yeah. And water baptism is a little bit like that. Like if you have been coming to church for a long time, but you've never been water baptized, sometimes we do things like, well, I'll just, I'll just pretend I have been. I could get baptized in my bathtub. I had somebody ask me if I would, I, you know, we're not against that, but I think there's something, well, no, I'm not baptizing you in your bathtub anyway, sorry, <laughs> just in case you got a bath. Uh, there's something about saying, no, I, I might not have done this, but I'm going to be obedient to, it. listen, if Jesus had to get baptized, and this might make some of you feel better, he waited till he was 30, so if Jesus waited till he's 30 and you're 65, it's fine. Uh, if you haven't been baptized, can I just encourage you? Make the decision to do that. I, I just know that there's something, you know, in th this evangelical tradition, okay, so we're, 
a Pentecostal church, but sometimes in our tradition we downplay uh, rites of passage and liturgy, and, but there's something beautiful and powerful about some of these things that we engage in. So if you've never been baptized, listen, we want to cheer you on with all the noise cheers, and, and if you don't want us to be wild, we won't be. We'll just, Dave will make everybody be quiet when you get baptized. Um, but if you haven't, sign up. I, I just know that it's going to be something really important in your life. Some of you are stuck, and it could be that you've just never taken that step before. Take the step. Sign up. And that's all I'm going to say. Okay, we're starting a new series called Make Your Life Count. And um, I, I think the longer that I live, the more aware I am that we only have one life to live. I know this is rocket science. You've come to church for real. You only have, you are not a cat, ladies and gentlemen. You do not have nine lives. Have you ever, though, um, have you ever driven somewhere and you get, to your, you get to your destination and you think to yourself, I don't even remember driving there. Have you ever had that feeling? And it's a bit frightening because you think, like, how did I actually, like, move mice? I was driving a 5,000-pound car and was unaware of it. Anybody ever been there before? Well, it's really weird when that happens. I want to suggest that for some of us, this is actually how we go about our Christian lives. We can live weeks and months, for some of us, decades. And we end up in a place and think, I don't even know, like we're sleeping at the wheel as Christians. If we're not careful, um, we can float into nothingness in our spiritual life. But I, I want to say that this is not the life that Jesus has called us to. A number of weeks ago when Pastor Al was here, he camped on the verse John 10.10, 10, the God that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. But often we stop right there and we think, well, yes, he came to give me life abundantly. I'll be signing up for a Tesla. Next week, it's going to take you nine months. If you're signing up, do not sell your car. I've heard of people selling their car, and then they are carless for night. Don't do that. But, but abundant life is more than just stuff. In fact, the scriptures would tell us that it really has nothing to do with stuff at all. Um, what makes Jesus, what made and still makes Jesus a radical teacher was that he, the way he called us to access this abundant life is upside down to the ways of the world. Um, in the end, this is what, makes us have a life that really counts if we'll access this abundant life. Um, we want it. He doesn't, he doesn't do it through the personal, the regular ways of kingdom, of our own personal kingdom building. In fact, he calls us and teaches us to join with him as he builds his kingdom. And this is a powerful thing. This is the only way we can make our lives count. What's really hard as a pastor in the 21st century, though, is that all of us have access to the words of Jesus in a way that no other, um, no other culture or people ever have before. So like even 100 years ago, for you to get your, like for, the pastor would never stand up and say, hey, are you having your quiet Bible time? Because nobody had a Bible. Like you had to be uber rich to like, Get yourself a Bible. And then also, it was in like really weird English, so you really had to have a lot of, even recently, even up till recently, we have to understand what kind of privilege we live in right now. That you have access on your little gadget phone that I know none of you ever look at because you're strong and powerful Christians. 
You have access to like every translation. There's like a translation for everything. You've got the CEV, the NLTV, the NRSV, the NIV, the KGV, the NKJV. I can say them all if you want. We could be here all day. But what's weird about that, <coughs> it's not weird, it's a privilege, but what's difficult about it is um, trying to make the words of Jesus and the call of Jesus, trying to get people to actually take it seriously. Because when you talk to people about the words of Jesus, what you understand is that people mostly believe the words of Jesus. <laughs> like, you know, like the stuff that's like nice, like be kind one to another. But what if Jesus' words weren't supposed to be mostly believed? What if he was serious about what he spoke? What if he expected people who followed him to actually put his words into practice? Okay, let me put it to you another way that is frank and direct because I have no other way. The biggest problem with preaching the gospel in the 21st century is that people know the words of Jesus but have no intention of following them. And this is true of me and this is true of you. So what does it mean when we take somebody's words seriously? Have you ever said this to your kids? I need you to take my words seriously. Or if you don't have kids, recall your mother's words to you this way. I need you, I need that room cleaned and I need you to take my words seriously. Uh, as a mom, I just can remember that less than 12 hours ago I said that. <laughs> what does it mean? It means that we really listen to the words and we put them into practice. And here's the question I want us to look at today. What does it mean to really follow Jesus? What did Jesus say it meant to follow him? Because sometimes I think we've predetermined what Jesus has already said. So the culture, our culture that we're currently living in, uh, by the way, our culture doesn't hate Jesus. Like I, I, I talk to people who don't know Jesus all the time. Nobody's mad at you when you talk to them the, about Jesus. They, they think he's pretty nice. He had long hair, so he was relaxed. It's like he lived on the island, Victoria. If you're from Victoria, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, this, this is what, um, but, but I think we have these predetermined ideas about what Jesus actually said, and it has created a nominalistic kind of faith, a nominal faith that just says it only matters on Sunday. I think it inoculates us to the real power of the gospel. Um, and uh, because I think, how did, what did Jesus say about following him has direct implications for how we live our life every day. By the way, as I wrote this series, I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you. I was really uncomfortable writing it. I felt uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable with the words of Jesus, so I hope you're gonna join me in the next couple of weeks, feeling, don't get busy the next couple of weeks. I know that it's nice out still. The mountains will still be there after church. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus has called us to an abundant life, but the abundant life, I, I believe, won't come in often the manner that we think it will. Okay, so this morning we're going to look at three scriptures, three scriptures that Jesus um, spoke, uh, and three times where Jesus was basically asked by people, how can I follow you? And Jesus' responses are not exactly cozy or easy. And after looking at these scriptures, it may give us a clearer picture of what it really means to follow Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. It'll be up on the screen in a moment. Okay, so in Luke chapter 9, at the end of, this, of Luke, 
we find a story about three people who are eager to, to follow Jesus. And now, okay, so just I want you to come out of your like, yeah, yeah, I know the scripture. Okay, there are people who are eager to follow Jesus. Are any of you in sales here? Yeah, a few, a few of you, yes, and I know, yes, you're really good salespeople. Um, when someone comes to you as a salesperson and says, hey, like, I really want your product, like, you just sign them up, right, Steve? You sign them up for whatever it is you're selling at the time because that's called uh, a, a, a hot lead, right? Am I, is there a terminology? It's like, it's like an easy, okay. So Jesus is a teacher. Now, in the first century, there were many rabbis like Jesus. There were not many rabbis who had people saying, hey, sign me up, because it was hard to follow a rabbi. But Jesus is different. He's got all these people coming around him saying, sign me up. Okay, so let's read what, so the first guy says, hey, Jesus, um, I, I, I want to, I will follow you wherever you go. This is as hot of a lead as one gets. And Jesus responds by saying, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. In other words, Jesus takes this hot lead and says, listen, you want to follow me? That's great. You're going to be homeless. I'm not even promising you. I'm not even promising you like security. In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you think of this from a psychological point of view, shelter is one of the biggest needs that we have. And Jesus just says, oh, you want to follow me? You do? Oh, okay, great. I, I'm not even sure that there's going to be a place for you to live. This would be called in the sales world, killing the lead. Okay. The second man comes to Jesus and he tells him that his father just died. And the man wanted to go back and follow and bury his father. Now, this seems reasonable. Um, and Jesus replied this way, let the dead bury their own, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Are any of you feeling a bit uncomfortable with this response of Jesus? Because I read it again. I, I mean, this is like the thousandth time I've read this, and I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable. And then a third man approached Jesus. Okay, so Jesus has all these people approaching him. A third man approached Jesus and told him that he wanted to follow him. But before he did, he wanted to say goodbye to his family. And Jesus wouldn't let him. He told him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Plainly put, a relationship with Jesus requires total, superior and exclusive devotion. By the way, this wasn't a gimmick Jesus was using, like supply and demand. <laughs> like, we can't get any of these, you, you can't really follow me. It wasn't a gimmick. And if this was just a one-time um, one exchange, you, we could say exegetically, so when we talk about exegesis, we talk about how, how do we understand this passage. We could say, oh, well, this was just these three people, there must have been something wrong with them, and Jesus knew that. Except for this wasn't the only time Jesus talked like this to people. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 10. The events of Luke chapter 9 were not isolated incidents in the life of Jesus. On another occasion when he was surrounded, again, he has a whole bunch of hot leads. He's surrounded by a crowd of eager followers. Jesus turned to them and remarked, Whoever loves his mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Like in our child-centric world, in our uh, 
in our um, exclusive little um, nuclear family world, th this scripture is very unnerving. In the King James Version, it, it, it's translated, whoever doesn't hate his mother or father. I remember being a teenager. These words are disconcerting. I'm supposed to love Jesus more than I love my child? This doesn't sound very 21st century, like warm, fuzzy, lights and smoke machine Jesus-like, does it? But then Jesus goes on, and it gets wilder. He says, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now this is taking it up another level. Pick up an instrument of torture and follow me. Now this is like we have, we have normalized the cross because we wear it now as jewelry and it's pretty and it's covered in 14 karat gold and you can wear it as a dangly earring now and that's cool again. It's, uh, you know, but it's really weird that we wear crosses around our necks. It's like wearing an electric chair around your neck and going, do you like my new jewelry? Looks amazing, doesn't it? That's what Jesus is saying here. Whoever doesn't take up their electric chair, follow me. You gotta love me more than you love your family. You gotta love me more than you. I remember saying this to my kids when they were first, when my two big kids started getting to the age we had a rule in our house that you couldn't date till you were 16. So then when they get to about 14 or 15, I start to talk to them about the kind of person that I want them, that, I, that their dad and I are praying that they will date. And I would always say to them, you gotta find somebody who loves Jesus more than they love you. And my kids would like recoil at this idea because it sounded gross when you were 14. Like, oh mom, that's weird. You're asking me to date somebody weird, yep. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm asking someone because this is, we, we, you don't get here. This is the call to discipleship. This, moms and dads, this should be the call to discipleship for all of our kids. As if this were not enough, Jesus finished his seeker-sensitive plea with a pull-at-your-heartstrings conclusion. Any of you, this is what he says, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Give up everything, carry a cross, hate your family. This sounds a lot different than, oh, uh, like if you want to try out Jesus, he's here and he's your homeboy and he wants to walk with you. I, I, and uh, to, be, uh, to be truthful, Jesus does want to walk with us, but he requires lordship in our life. And I think there have been times we have undersold this. I, th I think it's why we have a mile wide and an inch deep of discipleship. Does anybody else feel a bit uncomfortable reading these words? I knew that, this, that the service would be quiet today. And then we come to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, um, Jesus is another time as a potential follower showed up. Now, we know from Scripture that in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 and then 21 through 22, um, he was a guy, there was a young man that came, and he was rich and young and intelligent and influential. He was basically like, like I, have, I have made him into, he's like the Justin Bieber of our day. Okay? I don't really know if he, I don't know if he could sing. We don't know that, but we know that he was rich, and he was young, and he was influential. So 
So like 21st century Christians have had this real obsession with getting like the cool clubs, the cool kids in our club. Like, can you imagine if, okay, now I want you to put the person that you think is very influential and cool. Can you imagine if that person came to Jesus? It would be a revival. Yes, we could just get them to church. Like, I mean, who cares? Even if they just come like once every nine years or something. Like, at least they're in our club. It would be amazing. You know the disciples, you know Peter was priming this guy up. He was so excited. Yes, we finally caught a big one. Listen, our obsession with celebrity in the church has got to be slayed. There is no room for followers of Jesus to be also followers and, uh, of idolatry. Let me just, we, we've gotten really cozy with this idea that we could help God along if we got like fancy folks in our club. So this guy comes to Jesus, and he is a hot lead. He is saying, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Now imagine, imagine for a moment, you're sitting in your cubicle at work, and somebody races over to you, the boss, and says, I've been watching your life. It's amazing. What can I do to inherit eternal life? How many of you had a conversation like that with somebody last week? Don't put your hand up if you did. Because if that happened, we'd be all like, whoa, clearly I am really living a Jesus-inspired life. Like the Holy Spirit is really on me. What? I'm coming to pre-service prayer next week. I'm going to have a word from the Lord. Like, you know. And what is Jesus' response? Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, let me sign you up. We're going to get you on a speaking tour now. You can write a little pamphlet. You can sign it. You will draw crowds from it. You will be a worker for the kingdom of God. <sighs> but this is not what Jesus says to him. What does he say to him? He says, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the scripture tells us that the man went away sad because he was wealthy. was Jesus thinking? Jesus had committed the classic blunder of letting the big fish get away. The cost was too high. Yet this is the kind of abandonment that Jesus um, asked, the, the kind of abandonment Jesus asked of the rich young ruler is at the core of Jesus' invitation throughout the Gospels. Even his simple call in Matthew chapter 4 to the disciples, come follow me, was a call to abandonment. Like they had to abandon their, their careers, their families. When James and John said goodbye to their father, I mean, they were embodying all these things that Jesus said. He was calling them to abandon their careers. Their, their, they were reorienting their entire life's work around discipleship to Jesus. Their plans and dreams were now being swallowed up in his. Ultimately, Jesus was calling them to abandon themselves. They were leaving certainty for uncertainty, safety for danger, self-preservation for self-denunciation. And in a world that prizes promoting oneself, they were following a teacher who told them to crucify themselves. And history tells us the result. Almost every single one of the disciples was killed for the call and the cause of Jesus. Well, this sounds really a lot different than, like, try coming to church, maybe like, like, if you can get here, like, once every three to four weeks, I mean, pretty good. Or, like, 
like maybe you could like probably if you if you could try to give like one to two minutes if you could pray just even before lunch when you're at work good work so what does this mean for us we need to put ourselves in the shoes of these eager followers of Jesus in the first century what if I were a potential um, disciple about to drop my nets what if you were the man who, <laughs> who was told not even to say goodbye to his family? This is the Jesus we follow. You can't say that, oh, I follow Jesus, but I, you know what I'm just going to do? I'm going to take like 7 to 10% of what Jesus said out of Scripture because it makes me feel better. What if we were told that we had to um, give up everything? in order to follow Jesus. And this is where we come face to face with a really dangerous reality. We do have to give up everything to follow Jesus. We do have to love him in a way that makes even our closest relationships in the world look distant. And it is entirely possible that he will tell us to sell everything we have and give it to the poor. But we don't want to believe it, do we? We want to conform Jesus into like the Canadian dream. Sign up for Jesus and you're going to have abundant life. And you get a Tesla and a Tesla for you. I don't know why I'm really big into a Tesla today. If you have a Tesla, God bless you. That is not, this is not meant to make you feel bad about your Tesla. Uh, here's a bit of the problem. There's two, there's two things that happen when we exegete Mark chapter 10. So exegesis, the word exegesis means to like make sense of, to understand the, the first thing we do is we go, um, we universalize it. We go, well, Jesus asked the man in Mark chapter 10 to give up everything. He's clearly asking all of us. And now the pastor's going to stand up and say, everybody, sell all your things. I'll have sackcloth for you at the front of the altar next week. <laughs> We're going to start a weird cult. And this is actually not the way of Jesus. We know this because we know that the disciples actually had money. They had boats. They didn't sell everything they had. We know that throughout Scripture, you, you see this all throughout the New Testament, there were people like Aquila and Priscilla that had money and pursued, like, you know, they helped the church grow. Um, but the other, the other problem is that we think that Jesus would never ask us to do that, and that's also a problem. What if Jesus was asking you to abandon more than you are right now? I was thinking about this for my own self. And I realize sometimes I'm afraid. Like what if Jesus was asking me to give more, to ask more? And I'm not just talking about money. I'm saying like my whole life. But I'm mostly afraid to ask those questions. So what I do is I say, well, I hope it's good enough. I, like, God, I'll, I'll give you, like, what's comfortable. And, like, for some of us, what's comfortable is different than what others is comfortable for, right? Like, some of you, is like, no problem. You're not, like, materialistic, so you're like, oh, I can give it all and get all the spiritual stars. 
That's not even sacrifice for you. You don't care. You're like thrilled you don't have to think about what's in style anymore. It's a gift. <laughs> and some of you don't have any care about like, you didn't want a boat in the first place, so you don't care. Others of us, though, our time is really important. So like, if it was up to us, we would just like live in the wilderness by ourselves and never talk to anybody. But what if Jesus was calling you to give up some of that time? for the sake of the kingdom. Because a few teenagers need you and somebody needs you to speak life. Like what's hard for me to give up might be totally different about what's hard to give up for you, but what I know is that Jesus is calling us to a life of abandonment. It is not good enough to say, I follow Jesus because I go to church. This is not the call. Jesus never called people to go to church. I mean, we come to church so that we can encourage each other, so that we can learn from the Word. Jesus called us to follow him. Following him is both personal and universal. Personal in that the way that you follow him, what you have to give up, might be different than it is for me. This is why we don't judge each other, by the way. But it always requires sacrifice. years ago I remember talking to the Lord saying like God I just don't want to preach an easy gospel I, I do want people to come to Jesus because I think his way is abundant you see when, when Jesus asked the young man in Mark chapter 10 to give up everything he wasn't doing that to be like a pleasure killer like hey give up everything so that you can be poor And it, no he reminded him he said so that you'll have treasure in heaven and then in another scripture in the Gospels, Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a buried treasure. He finds the buried treasure, and then he buries it again. He realizes, and he, he goes and sells everything he, he has to buy the plotted land where the buried treasure is. But some of us, you know what we've done? We're not actually sure that Jesus is the buried treasure. It's like we kind of think, I don't know, like I'll try to step my toe in into living for Jesus, sort of. Just see how it is. But we've got like half a leg in and half a leg. You, we'll never have abundant life until we sell out. Until we sell everything to say, Jesus, all to you. The crucial question for every professing or potential follower of Jesus is this. Do we really believe he is worth abandoning everything for? Do you and I really believe that Jesus is so good, so satisfying, so rewarding that we will leave all we have and all we own and all we are in order to find our fullness in him? Do you and I believe him enough to obey him and to follow him everywhere he leads, even when the crowds in our culture and maybe even in our churches turn the other way? So I think here's the thing that we're going to do just for a moment. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. I want you just for a minute to just get in a quiet place with Jesus. I know you're thinking about lunch and how warm it is right now. And I just want you for a minute, though, to ask the Lord, am I, um, am I fully abandoned to you? 
And one of our values of a church is generous servanthood, that we would become people that give everything we are, be able to serve Jesus because we love him. Can just for a minute, I, you know, I, I, as I was writing this message, I just felt like the Lord said I wasn't to give a lot of examples because the examples that I give might actually lead you in some kind of a, can you, can you just ask the Lord, what in my life do I need to abandon? What in my life do I need to abandon to really follow you? Maybe you're here and you've never made a decision for Jesus before. I want to encourage you to say yes to Jesus, not to say yes to, to say yes to making him Lord of your life, the boss of your life. So God, I pray for my friends today that God, you would cause us to be all in for the sake of your kingdom. You know, even as we stand here, I know that there are some of you that think this is too high of a price. I cannot actually follow. I can't, I can't actually do this. And I was thinking about, like, when I had kids, I remember people saying to me, like, it's going to take up all your life. You're going to have a baby, and it's going to be, like, everything. <laughs> it sounded so horrible and scary. <laughs> if you're a parent, you know. But then you have, if you haven't had kids, if you've had kids before, you know, you know where I'm going with this. If you haven't, though, mm -hmm. let me just give you a little primer for a minute. You have kids, and then it becomes almost easy. Because, like, the joy of having a baby that you love with all your heart, it's not a sa I, I don't put my kids to bed at night and say, wow, it's a real sacrifice to have you. If I did, that would be horrible. I just like put my kids to bed at night and I think, even when they're being wild, I think, how privileged am I to be your mom? What a gift God's given us. If you have kids, you understand this. And in the same way, when we give everything to Jesus, God actually, you don't have to do it in your own strength. You just have to say yes. We say yes. And then God empowers you. He empowers you to be able to do it. So God, I pray that you'd give my friends today empowerment by your Holy Spirit to say yes to you. To say yes to making you Lord. And I pray that as we make you Lord of our lives, that God, you would direct us that you would encourage us and that we would truly live the abundant life you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.